The contents of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Borum. Well, by now most of us have heard of stem cell therapies, which is a fast emerging field pioneered by companies such as our very own ASX-listed mesoblast. But now we're starting to hear much more about exosomes, which are touted as an easier and cheaper alternative to stem cell treatments. What are exosomes? Well, I'm glad you asked. Basically, they're small particles produced by cells in the body, which deliver agents to other cells to reduce inflammation and promote regeneration. In other words, they deliver parcels of goodness, probably more efficiently than Australia Post at the moment. Now, while we have trillions of exosomes to start out with, uh, they tend to uh, decline with age. But don't believe me about all of this. Dr. Chris Baldwin is the expert in the field, and he's popped in for a chat now. Chris is the Chief Commercial Officer at Exofarm, which is an ASX-listed leader in exosome therapy development. So welcome, Chris. Thanks a lot, Tim. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, that's a very good explanation of exosomes. I suspect I should probably just um, cut and paste that everywhere I go. <laughs> You're too kind, but um, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure we can elaborate on a uh, on a few things. Um, now, I, I mentioned uh, Exafarm's uh, ASX listed. Uh, it's actually the only listed um, ASX Exafarm exposure for investors, uh, isn't it? Actually, at this moment, from what we can tell, we're the only exosome-focused company that's publicly traded anywhere in the world. Oh, there we go. Even better. Yeah. So, you know, it's a um, <clears throat> certainly a, a cutting-edge technology, and um, we're very happy to be um, not only the pioneers, but hopefully the, um, the settlers that um, end up uh, inhabiting the town and, and building it into the kind of metropolis that we think exosome medicines will ultimately become. Okay, and, and so, so despite my excellent intro, um, uh, you better tell us more about exosomes at, at, at a broader level uh, in, in terms of what they do. Sure. Um, so I guess uh, maybe I can just um, think about it this way. I, I've, I'm not a biotechnologist by training. I've come up through the um, first through strategy with McKinsey and then um, uh, blood products, uh, plasma products. Um, so the, the scientific side of this all is, is new to me. And exosomes are actually new to biologists as a whole. If you look at the textbooks from the 2000s, you wouldn't find exosomes referenced. Uh, they weren't really understood. They were these very small, very hard to, you know, nobody could see them really because they were so much smaller than cells. Um, and it was only after a period of time that people started to realize, hey, there's something else in here um, that are, they're not proteins, they're not, um, you know, they're, they're nothing else that we can kind of figure out what are they. And uh, ultimately, the, the original theory was that they were the, the trash cans of the 
sell. And the idea was that, um, you know, when a bunch of kind of debris piled up in a cell, it would kind of pack all this into this little package, wrap the cell, a little bit of cell membrane around it. So it was just a little tiny uh, missile and then shoot it out into the bloodstream and eventually it would, you know, make its way out of the body and um, off we go. But um, what we realized in sort of the mid 2000s was that this is how cells have been communicating with each other, each other for you know, mil billions of years. Um, this is a, a technique that cells use to move materials back and forth between them. Everything from proteins to um, RNAs, which then will effectively reprogram the cells that they enter. So you can really think of those as sort of packages that are being shuttled back and forth within the body because, uh, you know, each cell, even though it's got its own, they all have the same DNA to start with. They're all doing very different things. Um, you know, the, the skin cell on the surface of your body is going to be acting very differently than um, a similar cell inside your layers deep or even, you know, the, the tissue that separates your brain from your um, from your bloodstream, but so each cell has to act differently. And, you know, I've always wondered, uh, I, I read, remember reading an article in the 2000s about somebody who'd grown a tooth from a stem cell. And I thought not have, having missed a tooth uh, after an accident myself, I thought, wow, that's fantastic. You know, somebody's gonna grow me a tooth. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, I'm missing a front tooth. What if this thing grows into a molar? Uh, you know, <laughs> I wondered how does this, single cell know how to grow into the thing that you need and and ultimately the answer is exosomes um, the exosomes are passing back and forth between cells communicating kind of going okay we need a little bit of this over here and, and maybe we've got enough of that over there and so they're a key part of regeneration uh, and now that we're um, studying them specifically we can we can see that they've got a lot of uh, applications and a lot of really interesting uh, features that we can exploit as a uh, as a technology. Yeah, well, that's really interesting that they've sort of gone from from being uh, uh, garbage collectors, if you like, to uh, delivering uh, therapies uh, themselves. Um, are, are they uh, are they actually uh, or could they be uh, a therapy in their own right? Yeah, yeah. You know, if you, I guess if you, if you kind of go back to the early 2000s and think of the promise of regenerative medicine and mesenchymal stromal cells or stem cells, um, the idea was, okay, we're going to transplant these new um, active stem cells into the body. They're going to go to a place where there's um, a, a, some sort of damage and they're going to regrow the tissue, uh, which sounds fantastic. It sounds like, you know, just kind of squirting some putty into the, you know, bloodstream and it's going to go and patch the hole. Um, but the reality is that what happens is the cells get in place and they're only alive in the um, body for a number of days. And during that time, they secrete materials and what they're secreting predominantly is exosomes. So now that we know that, the question is, well, why would you take these cells and put them into a human? Why not keep the cells in the laboratory where you grew them in the first place and only transport and and turn into a medicine the, the materials that they create that are actually the active ingredients. And that's the, that's the potential for um, exosomes as it relates to regenerative medicine applications. 
Mm, okay, okay. And I, I take it one of the well, one of the challenges of uh, stem cells is the manufacturing process and, and, and the fact that it's all quite expensive. Um, but that's uh, that that's something you're zeroing in on uh, with, with the exosomes. Um, in other words, a, a, a lot of uh, what uh, Exafarm is doing is is all about manufacturing the cells more uh, effectively. Yeah, there's there's a couple pieces there. Um, you know, first of all, uh, we're going to as far as growing the cells themselves. What we're really doing is walking, uh, you know, in the footsteps of the giants who pioneered this field. The mesoblasts is an example. Sinata is another. Um, who have, you know, driven the cost of cell manufacture down from, uh, you know, probably, uh, you know, $1,000 per million cells down to 100 down to 15 or $20 per million cells um, over the course of the last 15 or 20 years. So they're, they're far along the uh, learning curve in terms of reduction of COGS, but ultimately you hit a wall um, with cells because you've, engineered how cheaply you can make the cells and now you've got to get them from the factory into the patient that supply chain is incredibly expensive um, it the cells have to be frozen down at minus 80 c with a cryopreservative once those are brought up to you know ready for transfusion into a patient they have to come out of the minus 80 they have to go through a washing process to remove the toxic cryopreservative they have to be checked to make sure that they are functioning. Uh, and then, then they're off and they're ready to go, which is why the promise of stem cell therapies ultimately is a little bit of a, um, you know, there's been more promise than result thus far. I'm not saying we won't solve some of these problems and, you know, some clever person might figure out how to get a completely frozen live sample into a patient quickly, safely, and economically. Um, but so far, that hasn't happened. So um, with exosomes, we kind of cut out all of that. We don't need to do that. The cells can stay at, uh, you know, 37 degrees C where they're happy to live and grow. Uh, we can collect the EVs. And once we have those EVs, we can, you know, medicinize those. We can freeze dry them. We can put them in vials, keep them in refrigerators and so on. And, and is the idea to produce an off-the-shelf product rather than... Oh yeah, rely on a particular patient's uh, cells. That's right. I mean, first of all, you 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 want to avoid um, using a, sing a patient's cells for a number of reasons. Um, first of which being uh, that the cost and and work associated with finding that it turns it from a batch of maybe a million treatments into a, a batch of one treatment. Um, so we from a just purely commercial perspective anything that involves starting with the patient is is already fraught and then there's plenty of diseases that um, you're not going to be able to train an individual's own cells into fixing themselves what you really need are cells or engineered cells that have special features that were are missing in the patient in the first place and in terms of this uh, engineering aspect, uh, what kind of uh, indications can, can exosomes be used for? In, in other words, what, what, uh, what, what can they treat or cure? Well, this is, this is where um, it's uh, both kind of, it's almost, um, you know, dizzying uh, in a way, because 
to if you think about what it just uh, let's put aside cell therapies for a moment. Let's just think about medicine. You know, what is it that we're asking a drug to do? We're really asking it to do two jobs. Job one is get into the body, get into cells, get find the cells that need to be treated, where, wherever that is in the body. And then number two, once they're there, do whatever needs to be done. You know, whether it's kill off a virus, uh, you know, uh, reduce uh, reduce one thing or the other, or increase one thing or another, change the activity of specific cells. So you're really asking any drug that you come up with to pull out two, two traits. And by the way, please don't you know injure cells. Please don't cause damage in the liver when you're trying to treat the, you know, the lung or vice versa. Um, so that's a lot that's a lot to put on a, a pharmaceutical and that's why it takes so much effort to go from, you know, proof of concept up to a, a commercial drug that's safe and effective. Yes, and on, on, on that note, um, uh, that there haven't been any exosome drugs uh, approved around the world. And um, for, from the sound of it, uh, it it's probably not going to happen in the short term. No, that's right. I mean, there's and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, mainly, it's just it's new. So not only is it new to to you and me, it's new to uh, the regulators as well. Um, typically, regulators uh, work on sort of a precedent sort of fashion. And so uh, once you have that first one through, then it gives us an example of, okay, well, how are we going to do it next time? What do we need to change about our regulatory process, our testing process, and so on? Um, you know, but exosomes, because they're actually packages of materials, there is a, there's an outer layer of um, lipids that have proteins sticking out of them. And then on the inside is this, uh, the fluid that has, um, that has proteins in there, has RNA in there, uh, can have small molecules uh, inside as well. So what you really are delivering is, is a far more complex piece of, of um, therapy, which means that you can, um, you know, let one piece of it, the outside, serve to bring the, the active ingredients to the cells that you need them to be. And the, the, intent, the content, the inside, can be the, the medicine, right? So, so the ability to divide that job between the, the different components of an exosome is why when you asked your question, what could they treat? Um, you know, it's like, it's a very long list of ideas there, you know, cancers, uh, all the CNS diseases, um, viruses, uh, just uh, anywhere a stem cell can uh, potentially have a treatment. You can pretty much assume that there's uh, using the EVs from that stem cell would work just as well, possibly better. So lots of places. Uh, and you're, you've got some uh, clinical trials uh, underway in some specific areas, haven't you? Uh, one of which is uh, wound healing. That's right. So, you know, the, if, if you think about a, a late-stage um, clinical trial like Optia, for instance, and the dry macular or the wet macular de de degeneration. Um, you what? It's very clear where they're they're going to um, put their product. It's a very specific product, and ultimately, it's either going to work or it's not going to work. 
in early, early stage trials, in, especially in these sort of biological spaces, what we're really trying to do is test the safety and demonstrate the safety um, first and then the efficacy in general. So what these trials are that we're doing, you mentioned Plexaval 1 and Plexaval 2. This is a platelet-derived exosome for wound healing. Um, what we're really doing more than anything is demonstrating and testing our process because the process that produces Plexaris, or, uh, which is the drug that we create from uh, platelets, is the same process that we'll use for mesenchymal stem cells or we'll use for iPSCs or we'll use for um, our proof of concept um, medicine around uh, the antiviral that we're designing for, for um, coronavirus for Trexo. So all of those, you know, the safety study, uh, sometimes people will say, well, are you interested in wound healing as a, as a um, therapy or is that, is that for you, what you're targeting? It's like, well, yes and no, it's, it's interesting, but, but the primary value is that it opens the door to a whole variety of um, applications and it's, and it really validates our process for bringing exosomes to, into patients safely. Yeah, so, so the point is it doesn't necessarily have to be wound healing or anything else. You're, you're just uh, try, trying to uh, uh, prove the concept. Um, but you did mention the uh, coronavirus, and there's, <laughs> there's always a coronavirus uh, angle these days. Um, now, exosomes, I gather, might help uh, to alleviate um, ARDS, acute respiratory, acute respiratory Distress Syndrome, which... Uh, um, is the main cause of death when uh, the virus does uh, kill someone. Um, what sort of work are you doing in, in that area? Um, so for ARDS, we're not really um, pursuing that. There are um, a number of companies that have shown that MSCs uh, will uh, dampen the um, immune response and reaction during the, the dangerous stages of the infections where um, the lungs get overwhelmed with a cytokine storm. Um, however, and there's also companies that have purified EVs from MSCs and are looking to do um, trials there. And in fact, there was one in Wuhan, you know, in the middle of all of that in January when they were struggling with it the first time, there was a, a paper that came out about using exosomes. We're not doing that. Um, and the reason for that is simply that, um, you know, when we looked at it, we thought, well, uh, this is going to come and go, and if we're going to race to this, the worst possible scenario would be that we were successful. Um, because if we're yeah. successful, right? Because if you're successful, then suddenly you're trying to treat, you know, millions of people. Well, we're we don't have the capacity to do that. Frankly, I'd be very concerned if I was a a company trying to um, deliver a, a stem cell treatment of any sort to that. The cost and the the quantities required to do something globally is is dangerous, I think. And I guess what you're saying is that uh, hopefully it'll be over by the time uh, one of these uh, long lead uh, therapies are actually developed. So That's it won't right. be any good for COVID-19, but it might be good for uh, uh, COVID-25 uh, or yeah. 30. Um, yeah. Perish the thought. Perish the thought. But, you know, one of the things that we did realise was that 
um, <clears throat> the technologies that we have around EVs um, are applicable to um, being an antiviral and that uh, this coronavirus did, did provide an opportunity for us to test that uh, and to test the hypothesis that we could create a from scratch antiviral uh, using an exosome. And so we did launch a research project and we call it Fortrexo, um, where what we're doing is taking one of our engineering technologies, which allows us to put a, an arbitrary protein onto the outside of EVs. And in our case, what we're putting on the outside is the spike protein from the coronavirus. Uh, so we'll engineer that into a vector. We'll put that into the cells. The cells produce EVs that have those spike proteins. This is a um, proprietary technology that we've been licensed from the US. Um, and what that will do is produce EVs that are designed to enter the same cells that coronaviruses go to. And that same trick could be applied to basically any virus with a coat protein. Uh, you know, flu viruses, um, they're obviously notorious for changing that. that um, but, you know, RSV, there's a whole host of them, dinghy. So if we can demonstrate it with coronavirus, then that'll be a, obviously a major step toward validating any tropism that we apply to our EVs through the technology. Sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it can obviously be be applied to uh, any uh, any number of things, uh, in, in, including viruses. Um, it all takes uh, money, of course. And just uh, to, just on the company and uh, and its funding position, uh, you you listed not too um, fairly recently, uh, December twenty eighteen. Uh, you raised seven million then, uh, and then you you did a, a placement recently. Uh, for ten million dollars, um, so uh, I guess uh, I guess you've got uh, got around seventeen million dollars in the bank. Uh, give give or take a few dollars. Um, is that is that enough? Uh, well, you know, it's always the question is always is it enough for what? You know, you yeah, can right. open the door of the refrigerator and ask yourself if you have enough food. Um, that's sort of the the reality. Is that um, the, what we have in the bank now will not see us to profitability, um, but it will certainly see us through. Um, we we believe between the the fundraise we did, we have a very substantial um, R and D tax uh, incentive rebate that comes in. It was over two point one million this year. Almost every um, dollar that we take in is getting translated into R and D, um, and it's being done here in Australia. So. We've, uh, since that raise, we were able to add staff, considerable number of staff in the last few weeks. Um, and so that number will increase, but the what's come in thus far are, you know, our, our cash projections have us through uh, the end of 2021 without uh, too much difficulty. Um, and we could obviously make it longer. And then the question becomes, you know, do you want to, do you want to walk? Do you want to jog? Do you want to sprint? Um, and the faster you the faster you go, the the faster you consume what's in your tank. So ultimately, uh, we'd like to move faster. We think this is a very hot um, time for exosomes, and um, so I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if if we accelerated um, rather than tried to kind of hold on and you know scrimp and save to to make that last longer. 
Sure. You mentioned it's a hot area uh, in, in, in terms of M&A uh, globally. Uh, has there been much uh, acquisition activity in the uh, space? Right now, the, the, big, um, the biggest activity tends to be in partnerships between the few exosome companies that are out there that can do engineered EVs and pharma companies. So the, aside from ourselves, um, there are two other companies that um, have full engineered EV platforms. Uh, one of them is called Evox in, in the UK, and one is called Kodiak there in the US. Right now, both are privately held, although Kodiak is listed um, to go public. Those two companies have both done um, major pharma, two major pharma deals each. So since March, um, Evox has announced two major deals, 50 to $100 million upfronts plus billion-dollar milestones, one from uh, Decada and one from Eli Lilly. And... Um, Kodiak announced their second uh, major deal with Sarepta um, after they had already announced one in 2019 from uh, Jazz Pharma. So both of them have done, you know, over $100 billion, $100 million in upfronts with, you know, a couple billion dollar milestone payments uh, with two separate pharma companies. Uh, and the great thing for us is that uh, we started in the in the space of uh, the engineering, really, of the process. So how do we get from, you know, stem cells up to a product? And how do we purify EVs? And we, we've got the world's best EV purification technology, from what we can tell, um, by, by a large factor. They, the um, other two companies, Kodiak and Evox, they started on the engineered side. They were trying to really create the precision medicine right out of the box. Well, they've been selling this concept to R&D companies around the world, and some of them are uh, a little bit disappointed that they didn't get to partner with um, Kodiak or Evox in CNS, for instance. Well, mm. um, so that's that's an opportunity for us. I mean, meanwhile, you're sitting there uh, with a, a market cap of uh, probably well under $100 million. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's uh, food for, uh, for thought. Um, Chris, um, you said you're not a biotechnologist or, or scientist uh, per se, but you've given a, uh, a very um, comprehensive rundown of uh, what, what exosomes are and, and, and where exopharm's going. Um, so uh, it's obviously a, a very, uh, very exciting area. So uh, all the best with the uh, ongoing development. Great, Tim. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's it's a very exciting field. I encourage everybody to to learn more about it because I, I think it's going to be um, a topic that uh, is even more uh, visible in the next two to three years. And pretty soon people will be, oh, yeah, yeah, exosomes. I know all about them. It'll be a household name, I'm sure. Right. Great, great, <laughs> great, great to chat, uh, Chris. Thanks a lot. <laughs>